0: Hey, welcome to Theology for the People. This is Pastor Nick Katie, and I'm here today joined by Pastor Wayne Taylor from Seattle. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Nick. <laughs> Good to be here with you. Um, guys, Wayne has been serving at our church this weekend here in Colorado and just spend the, spend the week, the weekend with us, and it's been a big blessing. And um, Wayne, uh, we've got this podcast. We usually talk about issues related to theology. I call it theology for the people. And that's kind of my hardest to like help people understand that not only um, are people doing theology who maybe don't realize that they're doing theology, but we want to bring theology to the, the people, right? And answer a lot of questions that people have. And so the topic I want to talk about with you today is the topic of what it means to be charismatic. And the reason I want to talk about it is a couple. The first is that Recently, in our church, we just did a five-week series on the Holy Spirit. Now, five weeks is pretty fast, honestly, to go through it, and we covered all the main topics. But definitely felt like this could have been a ten-week series if we wanted it to be. Um, but there, there's a couple reasons why we held it to five. Um, but in our last installment in the series, the last one was on the gifts of the Spirit, and. One of the topics I didn't get into, um, partly because I thought, you know, it's a little bit more of a niche discussion, but also, um, just for time, I felt like it wasn't really serving the people or the text, but I I thought it's worth talking about. Like, what does it mean? What is this word charismatic charisma? Where does that come from? What does it mean? Are we charismatics? Uh, should people want to be charismatics? Uh, maybe there's some baggage associated with that word and... So I just want to talk about that with you. And the reason I wanted to talk about it with you, Wayne, is because I know that this is something that is meaningful to you, is that as I've gotten to know you, I know that you're a person who cares a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit.
1: Right. Amen. Wow. Without the work of the Spirit, we'd be up a creek without a paddle. <laughs> mm-hmm. But charismatic, it's true. it It's an interesting word, and in the human sense, it means you're inspiring. You know, you're a charismatic person. Maybe you're a charismatic personality. That's not what it's talking about in the Bible. Um, Charismatic in the sense of utilizing the Holy Spirit's gifts. That would be charismatic. Um, That you believe that the gifts are for today because there's some debate about that um and then there's um you know gifts that that stick out you know like speaking in tongues can be a gift that speaks out and is kind of dramatic because you're receiving a language um glossolalia a spiritual language um that the Holy Spirit is giving you for prayer or worship. And so you know there's there's a lot of mystery about it because we don't know a person who has that gift doesn't know what they're saying, but they're uttering mysteries of prayer, of um, worship. They're addressing God in a spirit, directed way. Now there's many ways that you can pray to God, um, inspired by the spirit, but this is one that's, you know, really unique and you don't, you don't know really what you're saying, but you're entrusting to the Holy Spirit, the sounds and words, um, that, you know, God says are actually very edifying. They build you up spiritually, even though you don't know what they're saying. Um, But you can pray in a um, tongue given by the Holy Spirit for needs that you may not know what to pray for or how to pray. So it's one of the ways when you don't know how to pray, you can pray that way in the spirit. So that's one way to look at charismatic at all um, in, in terms of spiritual gifts.
0: Yeah. And the word charismatic. And and so I'll put it this way. You mentioned there's a debate between those who believe the gifts are for today and who aren't. Uh, So that's called cessationism versus continuationism. Right. Now, the interesting thing to me about that is that can say cessationists don't usually believe that all the gifts are, have ceased right. or are no longer in operation. They actually only believe that specific gifts have ceased. Like, right. they would still say, hey, there's still a gift of mercy or a gift of administration or a gift of teaching. And leading. They would definitely say a gift of giving. De- yeah, they like that <laughs> one, right? Um, but they would say that the sign gifts, um, right. and they usually break those down into speaking in tongues, prophecy, sometimes apostleship. If apostleship is viewed as an office or as a as a gift, they usually view that one as having ceased. Uh, working a miracles, that one they mm-hmm. also, and there there's a couple of lines of th- lines of thought that go behind that. Um, one of them is that. Those things were only needed in the apostolic period, basically to uh, give validity to the work of the apostles with the case of prophecy, or sometimes they'll bring in speaking in tongues. But I think you made a good point that speaking in tongues, according to Romans 14, verse 2, is people speaking not to men, but to God. Right. Um, so I think that, that kind of shoots that out of the water. But the idea is that they they needed these prophetic messages at that time because they didn't have the New Testament scriptures. And mm-hmm. I think that's also a bit misleading because they did have the early forms of the New Testament scriptures uh, being distributed right. at that time. They had Letters. the Old Testament. Yeah, and and the Old Testament. Let's let's make clear like it's not a different message. Right. It's the same right. message. Um, so. Uh, yeah. And then they'll use this verse from first Corinthians 13 to say that when it says that when the perfect comes, we will no longer need the imperfect saying that the, now that the new Testament has come, we no longer need the gifts of the sign gifts of this Holy Spirit. Um, but I think that any honest, um, exegete would agree that what's being talked about. There's clearly not the new Testament canon. It's actually the seeing Jesus face to face. Well, that which presence. is perfect, yeah,
1: and of course, God's word is perfect, but when it says that which is perfect is come, verse 10, then that which is in part will be done away. Um, and and he goes on and he talks about how, um, that now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known, mm-hmm.
0: and that hasn't happened yet, no, I mean, yeah, so. And we says, still
1: need the gift of the word of knowledge or, yeah. you know.
0: And he says there that certain gifts will cease. He mentions that tongues will cease, prophecies will cease. Right. And he also says that knowledge will cease. Yeah. But no, no uh, cessationist would say right. that knowledge has ceased. Right. And so I, that's, what, what I find interesting is that I did a study on this in seminary on John MacArthur's uh, theological method. And yeah. what I found is that, He's, he's actually really honest about this, and he'll say that that verse in 1 Corinthians 13 is not speaking about the New Testament. And his reason for being a cessationist is not actually has nothing to do with the Bible. Hmm. He says, Okay, I realize there's no biblical reason to be a cessationist. I'm a cessationist because I've never seen it in practice in a way that convinced me. Now, I studied theological method as my master's program. That was my master's. It was called integrated theology, which is theological method. Basically, how do you come to the conclusions you come to about theology? And um, I would say that that is not, a, I would even say that John MacArthur would agree that that's not the right way to do theology, is right. to say, I don't see it, therefore I don't believe it. Right. Rather that's we right. get our theology from that. That would Bible. be a mess if we looked at everything like that. Yeah.
1: If you don't see it, But it's in the Bible, you need to pray for it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And then, so, okay. So, all that to say this that the word charismatic comes from the word grace. and, And I'll have you talk about that in just a second. But my point is that actually, cessationists are also charismatics because they believe that most of the gifts, are in operation today, right. and they embrace them. Yeah. So to embrace the gifts of the Spirit is to be a charismatic, then I guess I'm a charismatic, but so is John MacArthur in a way. Sure.
1: And, and they may not understand what all the gifts are. Mm. And the very powerful gift of teaching, when anointed by the Spirit, obviously, or given by the Spirit, I mean, the guy is gifted. Mm. He's God uses him it's it's not a human gift oh he can teach the Bible like it's an intellectual thing. Mm-hmm. I mean we can learn through our intellect but in terms of um, spiritual growth and discipleship, that's a gift that yeah. the Spirit gives. But yeah. listen to this one part yeah it says now we see in a mirror first Corinthians 13:12 dimly and we do. we see dimly because Jesus isn't here but we have his word. But he says, but then face to face. So it's not talking about the Bible. It's face to face with the person of Jesus. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And the basic thing there is we won't need the gifts in the same way when he's here in his kingdom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's dial back and say, okay, what does, where do we get this word charismatic? What does it mean? And maybe why are some people averse to using this term? Um, And then let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. Well, it actually, the word, the root word goes back farther than charis, which is the word grace. It goes to a word "cairo" that means to be cheerful. It's something that brings, it brings joy it brings inspiration. I mean, it's, it's, it enhances life. It makes you happy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that actually is the word. And that's associated with the main usage in the Bible, charis, which is undeserved. It's, it's a favor. It's a blessing that we can't earn or we can't deserve. It's it's something that that God alone can give. And and in giving that, um, our lives change. I mean, it changed the very tenor of our life. It 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 first of all changes your status with God. Mm. You know, you're you're put in a place of righteousness, of being right with God simply by believing and receiving what Jesus did. And 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 that's a gift. You can't earn it. Um, you can only receive it by believing in what Jesus did to, to purchase it for us. And that's called redemption. So Chorus, in that sense, and it changes your life. It, it, it puts you in connection with God himself. And so Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it was not me, but it, it was his grace. All his service was God's grace. Um, he he said it wasn't the, you know, something that I did, but it was really His grace working through me. So that's why we need the gifts is because in order to be effective for the Lord, um, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's power is to give certain gifts. And there's three listings of gifts. There's one in Romans 12. There's one in 1 Corinthians 12 or excuse me 1 Corinthians yeah 12 that carries on through 12 13 and 14 and then there's Ephesians chapter 4 and it lists i last i think i remember counting like 23 or 24 gifts and Peter has a couple in 1 Peter 2 9 and 10 but he divides them into general topics speaking gifts and 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 um kind of action gifts, I guess. Anyway, those are so important because they're not only natural talents, but they're ignited. They're inspired. Um, and in this sense, when you're filled with the Spirit and anointed with the Spirit, you, you can actually become charismatic in a couple of ways your personality may become more charismatic. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to jump around on the stage and and go, oh, the Holy Spirit, ah, you know, and do that whole thing. But it'll probably give more of a dynamic to your life. In fact, there is that, that word in Acts 1-8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Uh, and that word for power is dynamic you know, dunamis. So, you do have more of a dynamic persona um, as you learn to walk in the Spirit. But you also have these gifts that God will give you. He'll begin to show you where He wants you to minister and how He wants you to minister. And you'll be effective in the areas where you're gifted. You'll be most effective.
0: Yeah. And so, let's talk about a few of these words that we see here in Romans... Twelve, verse six. Here's what Paul says to the Romans: Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So there's the word charis. Uh, so that's one of the ways ways where we get the the word charismatic. But as you mentioned, mm-hmm. the whole concept actually has to do with grace. But mm-hmm. but there are a few other words that are used, like in in First uh, Corinthians 14. I think he used the word pneumaticos, which right. means the spiritual things. Yeah, and and there's one more that you mentioned. It comes from the word doxa, gift, mm-hmm. uh, and
1: he he intersperses that with charisma, gift, but
0: it's more prominently known as charisma. Yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes people will ask, is the Calvary Chapel movement that we're part of, are we a charismatic church? And one of the common responses I've heard, and I've, I've said this to some people and they, you know, they chuckle at it, um, and that is that we are charismatic with a seatbelt. But, um, so I know that you were around in like the earlier days of Calvary Chapel and, you know, my pastor Tom Stipe was around at that time too. And a lot of the things I hear is that there was actually more, more use, or maybe more prominence of the gifts of the spirit in those days. Right. Would you say that's accurate? What what do you think has, uh, give me your take on that. I think it is very
1: accurate. And some people, as I came in, when I first got contact with um pastor chuck and with calvary chapel of costa mesa i went to for a period of time as i was visiting through one summer where i was taking greek at biola i went to all the services that i could and one of them was tom stipes Uh, he did a saturday night um kind of a concert thing and evangelism but he also did an afterglow what he called an afterglow and he and many people um it's it's I mean, it's not everybody has this, but Tom and a lot of fellas that I've met, like Nick Long, have a gift of sort of leading people to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. And Tom tremendously had that gift. He he came from a more of a an old line denomination. A he was Methodist. Methodist, he was, yeah. Yeah, and and then he was empowered with the Spirit at Costa Mesa, I think, at Calvary Chapel. And fortunately for him, he got solid teaching on what that meant. I was raised in situations where we didn't get enough of the teaching about it. We we knew that we could quite probably speak in tongues and maybe prophesy, but that was about it. You know, we didn't learn about all the gifts like Romans 12. So... But Tom had that gift, and yes, to your your main question, um, was Calvary more um, demonstrative in the sense of, of utilizing those gifts? Um, they had uh, what they called afterglows, and so people would wait on the Lord and be prayed for to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And Paul himself, we know, in Antioch... Um, Shortly after the Lord apprehended him, Ananias prayed for him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know that he could speak in tongues because he shared that he, he you know, he had that gift. Whether he had it right that first time, I don't know. But, um, so, you find in the book of Acts, Acts 2, they received the gift of tongues. Um, in Acts chapter 18, I believe, with, with Ephesus... Uh, isn't, wasn't that with Ephesus at that yeah, point? Yeah, that's right. And there was also one where in chapter 10 with Cornelius' household, um, they received um, the filling of the Spirit in the same way that the apostles did uh, or in the book of Acts uh, 2, verse 4. So anyway, there was a big thing. that They received it the same way we did. So it was, and it says in Acts, t- chapter this is chapter 10 with Cornelius' his household. They also spoke in tongues and prophesied. So, anyway, it's 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 a empowering, and it helps your prayer life. Now, the one gift that's for the person to build themselves up in their spiritual life is the gift of tongues. So that's um, that's one that sometimes is singled out because it is one gift that's for you yourself. It's not really for sharing with other people, unless there's an interpretation of the tongue.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because when I served in Hungary, um, sometimes we would talk about this topic with other churches and things like that. And, you know, I would say, well, I think that our church is a charismatic church in the best sense of the word. And people would argue with me and say, no, 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 no this is not charismatic church because Mm -hmm. I've been to charismatic church and in their mind, at least the people that I talked to charismatic church was like this thing where it was just kind of like wild, like there's no rules and it's chaotic and there's like weird teachings and there's just like, you never know what's going to happen. There's somebody running around people interrupting the service. And I'd say, well, wait a second. I mean, to be charismatic just means that we believe in, the operation of the gifts. Right. And we, we also believe that they're by grace, which means that we don't have to like turn up the dial. We don't have to force this thing. Like it's not on us to like do this. Right. This is something that God wants to do and we don't want to quench the spirit. And uh, it seemed to me that in, their, in the minds of the people that I was talking to, like charismatic was this almost negative thing that mm-hmm. they, they wanted to separate themselves from. And sometimes I'll get people here too, you know, who'll ask, is this a charismatic church? And I'm like, well, I don't know what you mean, because I think that by the definition of the word charismatic, that yes, but I think that in the way that that word is often associated with certain groups and movements then probably not that's why this this idea of saying that we're charismatic with a seatbelt is probably sometimes helpful for people because mm-hmm. it means that we're not um, like we're, we're I guess restrained but by, by the Bible now I've, I've been in some situations like in Hungary we we would have these things with our pastors gatherings and our some of the gatherings that we had where I thought they were actually like really um, really healthy and helpful right. times of operating in the gifts and yeah. they were very biblically led right like just basically following what paul says in first corinthians 14 yeah but again why do you think it is that some people are so averse to the to the word i mean do you think there have been abuses and how should we then think about the gifts in light of those who have let's say wrongly used them or maybe even abuse them
1: i think there have been both abuses And kind of a hyping thing. And I would say just as much, there has been too much restraint. There has been not enough allowing place. There's been both. And what you said about the scripture being the guidelines and the way that it needs to be operated, that is good. Um, but you find in the scripture that Paul, for example, with the Ephesians, um, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they didn't know. They, they hadn't, you know. And what is that, you know? And, and so Paul laid hands on them and prayed with them. And they, you know, received the filling of the Holy Spirit. And like I said, some people have uh, a real gift to help people receive this. They believe that, that the laying on of hands or just praying with people, um God will give it to them, and I would encourage pastors to either themselves or someone that they're working with um you know have someone if if they have this gift of being able f- to help people receive sort of an openness to the empowering as well as the Receiving of gifts for sharing, um, that they do that, because then you will see it. It will it will grow. Unlike what um, how John MacArthur handled it, you can actually see it, and it God does things, and it's tremendous. So I would say that. But on the other hand, I was raised in situations where people, the whole thing was to get them to speak in tongues. And that became so much the issue because it is true that in many cases, not all, but in many cases, when people were filled, they would receive this gift of speaking in tongues, but not all. So they would put so much emphasis on that, that that was the whole thing, just get them speaking in tongues. And you could get people speaking in tongues and sometimes you would wonder, are you just making this up? Or is this something that,
0: god is giving you i remember watching like i think it was tbn or something i was like a new christian yeah like um really committed my life to the lord raised lutheran you know but committed my life to the Lord. around 16 and then i started being like whoa this is so cool there's this church i was going to and i was learning the bible and then i turned on the tv and i was like oh cool there's a christian channel but it seemed like all they cared about was getting you speaking in tongues yeah and then like but like they would even straight up say like if you can't do it just like fake it till you make it. Like basically like don't even like worry about it. Just like yeah, fake it till you make it. Yeah, and that's that's not good. I think
1: I think sometimes faith is required as you step out the first time. It's like it's like in a sense say the gift of teaching you actually have to step out and, and begin to teach and see if you've got it, you know what I mean? I mean, you study and then you step out and and you can sense the power of the Spirit working through you. And that's beautiful. Tongues is is one of these things where you don't know what you're saying if he gives you glossolalia, which is which means unknown tongues. And it could be a known language because it was on the day of Pentecost but they just had never learned them. Yet God gave them glossolalia, unknown tongues, and they spoke in the languages of the people that were gathered round, so they heard them speaking of the wonderful works of God. Mm. And that was extremely powerful and dynamic in itself because people heard of things God was doing as they were praying in tongues. So that's not necessary, it doesn't always say that that's the way it works, but it can work that way. I was in a situation at a church one time when, and this is where the gift of interpretation comes in, um, a guy spoke out in tongues. We were waiting on the Lord and asking God to give us gifts of the Spirit. This guy spoke out in tongues. Um, he didn't really know what he was saying, but he was praising God and worshiping God. And then the strangest thing happened I received words to understand it. So I'd never done it before. Interpretation, I'd I'd never done it before. So I just just said what what he put on my heart. And I spoke up and, and said, okay, this is what this person is saying. He's praying for this particular thing. And he's saying this and this and this in prayer as well as praise to God. And I gave the words and such. Okay. Then after the service, a guy came running up to me and said, do, do you speak French? Because he said, I speak French, a particular dialogue, dialect rather, in I think it was Northern Africa or somewhere. And he said, what you said that guy was saying was exactly what he was saying. Cause I speak that, that language. I go, you're kidding me. I go, no, I've never studied French. I studied Spanish, you know, but no, I had never spoken that. And I was, I just knew what was said. I don't know why he just, he just put it on my heart. But the guy said, wow, that is really from the Lord because that witnesses to me just how real it is. So that can happen, but it doesn't necessarily need to happen because you are speaking what's unknown to you, and you're, like Paul said in First Corinthians 14, you're speaking mysteries in either prayer or giving thanks to God. And so you're edified, your spirit is getting edified one way or the other, you know.
0: And it seems that there are actually some, as you mentioned, neglect uh, being maybe an issue. So on the one hand, we, we need, you know, we there's this people who abuse the gifts and do things unbiblically, um, on the other hand, there are those who maybe exercise a little too much restraint, and they're missing out on what God would have for us. And, and what's interesting is that there seem to be some verses that would lead more in that way as well, right? So Paul gives a case for don't quench order. The yeah, he gives a case for order in First yeah. Corinthians 14. But in the, at the end of First Corinthians 14, there's this verse that I never hear anybody talk about, and it says, "Do not forbid the speaking in tongues." Yeah. So he's saying, "I want everything done in order." but don't forbid people from speaking in tongues. But then he goes over to the Thessalonians and you got to read between the lines and assume or try to imagine what must've been happening that prompted Paul to write this. And he says to them, at the end, he kind of gives like a a laundry list of just like quick exhortations and um, they pray without ceasing. But he also says, do not quench the spirit. And then he says, don't despise prophecy but test all things and hold fast that which is good. Yes. And they seem to be some pretty good guidelines.
1: Very good. Awesome. If we would take them all seriously and apply them. And I like how in Corinthians, he lays it out how to do it when gatherings happen. Now, he says there are certain gatherings where you can pray for people if if it's if they're all believers and they they're all wanting to be filled with the spirit then you can pray for that and it may happen it probably will happen don't let it throw you you know don't let it freak you out or anything and there's no need for it to freak anyone out if they sim- simply do it decently and in order because one thing that happens with people when they receive a gift. Maybe it's a word of something, and it's a little scary because it's never happened before. Um, or maybe it's a tongue, because I would like to say regarding tongues that you you do need to actually form. You know, you need to say it out of your mouth. Because that's what it is. It's, it's a, a language that comes out of your mouth. So it takes a step of faith. And say you step out and you say something that is nonsensical in your normal self. Because you don't know what you're saying. But possibly you're speaking in the tongues of angels or of heavenly whatever. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So you don't know what you're saying. But you're saying it, and that's another thing. As you step out in faith, and you begin to practice it, it can grow. It's like any language; you things may be added, you know, as time goes on, and and you your spirit feels built up and and excited. But should it be done in a congregation when teaching is going on, for example, and interrupt the teaching? No, never. That should not happen because you have the gift of teaching where they're edifying the people by learning the scripture and the holy spirit's not going to interrupt himself with gibberish you know what i mean so you don't you don't want that to happen so you want it to be decent and in an order and when that happens it's so sweet and so powerful that it really s- speaks to everybody how real god is and that's why they call it the manifestation of the presence of god it's it's a manifestation
0: yeah yeah And so just in conclusion, you know, it just reminds me that what we have here in scripture is pretty, pretty good guidelines. Uh, And here's two things Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts or the spiritual things, pneumaticos, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, right? So these should be things that we study about that we, and we, we understand, know about, but then he says this in 14 verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, he says, earnestly desire, in verse 31 of chapter 12, earnestly desire the greater gifts, right? Right. And so these are things that we want to uh, desire, walk in. And a big reason for this is because not just to, you know, John Corson always used to say this. He used to say, the steam in the steam engine honks the horn or toots the horn, but that's not what it's there for. It's there to move that train forward. Good. And uh, that.
1: that's a good illustration.
0: And I always think that, man, we want to be moving forward. We want to be having that, that dynamic power of God at work in us, not just to toot our own horn, it's to, to see this train move forward of the kingdom of God, the mission of God, and God's work through us in the world. That's what it's a privilege to be the body of Christ and yes. get to be the hands and feet of God in the world and to use those gifts so we can do it effectively and beyond just our natural capability.
1: And that was one of the powerful so-called secrets of the um, Jesus movement and the charismatic movement. Now, the charismatic movement put so much attention on the charisma that there was a little more extremes that way, whereas with the Jesus movement, great men like Pastor Chuck gave great teaching— regarding the Word in Jesus, so it kept it just just nice and balanced. And we like to say in Calvary Chapel that we want to see the marrying of the strong teaching of the Word of God and the empowering of the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah, it's not either or. No. It's both and. You know, somebody told me this, and I think it was Tom Stipe, but he told me this, that, that Jesus movement, man, it was—it wasn't just Calvary Chapel. There was—it uh, was other things going on. But he said that what happened with that is like, it became this thing where there were some branches that, that maybe began with the same movement, <clears throat> and started going weird directions. And he said it was almost like the whole thing was like this thing that was sliding off the edge of a cliff. But then there was boom, Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith in the midst of it, just like planted like this. I don't know what you call it, like a post in the ground of teaching the Bible verse by verse right. that kept the thing from sliding off the off the edge of the cliff.
1: It's so wholesome. Mm. It's it's so filled with life because we know God's Word is solid. It's rock solid, strong, um, and you don't want to get outside the boundaries. Um, you want to utilize and receive and in decency and order exercise the gifts and step out and you know you don't get it perfect every time kind of thing it's okay if 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 someone gets emotional maybe as it becomes more comfortable they won't be emotional you know what I mean Mm -hmm. to the point where they think they do you know what I mean you don't have to because it's not the emotion that's powerful the power of it is the actual gift and some people could be really quiet and gentle about it. They're just as dynamic as, um, say, teaching. Chuck was a mellow, quiet kind of teacher, but it was so anointed, you know, with the Spirit because he depended on the Spirit.
0: It reminds me of First Kings chapter eighteen. You know the uh, the showdown with yeah. the prophets of Baal, and they go up to Mount Carmel, and you got all these prophets of Baal, it's like they're dancing around, cutting themselves, yelling, thinking that they need to do all these things in order to get their God to work. And you just see Elijah, and he just stands there in so much confidence, and he just says, show him, Lord. And it's, yeah. not, it's not a show. He didn't have to work it up. He didn't have right. to dance around. He just actually had the anointing and the the power of God, yeah. and he just said, "Show him, Lord," and boom, fire falls from heaven, and that's that's, that's right. what I've always thought about. With like when it's real, you don't have to drum it up. That's you, right. You don't have to force it, and I think that that gives us a lot of freedom. That they are gifts of grace, and it's powerful that there was a a, a shaking, there was fire.
1: I think there was even a. Um, I forget all the different you know, powerful manifestation. But the last one was a still small voice or was a gentle blowing. And that is when he spoke mm-hmm. out of that gentle blowing. So the uh, all of it was the Lord um, in that particular case. But the most powerful was just the blowing of the wind. And the Holy Spirit is like a, you know, like Jesus said, it's the wind blowing where it wants
0: Pastor Wayne. Wants. Yeah. Pastor Wayne, thank you for being on the podcast today. And, sure. uh, for those of you listening, Hey, leave us a review over on, on the iTunes podcast. Written review really helps boost us in the algorithm, but we'll take all the five-star reviews you want to just, uh, give us. And, uh, <laughs> you can also check out the blog format for this podcast over at nickkady.org. That's the theology for the people blog site. And we'll be back with you again soon. God bless you.